This is our ninth and last session on this unit, 15 to 21, of chapter 5 in Ephesians. Therefore, look carefully how you walk. Carefully. That's going to relate to what we see down here. Not as unwise, but as wise. Purchasing the time, because the days are evil. This is not a time to be cavalier and carefree and indifferent to great things. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And filled with the Spirit, be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, for everything, to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, that's what we focused on last time, assuming a posture of servant-like lowliness in order to bring about the good of others, always having the mindset of counting others more significant than ourselves so that we become a means to their eternal joy. And do that, now finally, in the fear of Christ. Translated in the ESV, out of reverence to Christ. That's not wrong, but I want to draw out the real word fear, lest we think, oh, we really shouldn't uh, think of fearing Christ or fearing God. That's a passe notion. That's an Old Testament notion. That's a pre-Christian notion. No, it isn't. He's talking to Christians here. And he's telling us to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. There is a sense, a real sense, in which we should fear Christ. So I pray, Father, that you would show us what that sense is now and work that in our lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the reasons I balk at obscuring the word fear is because, for example, in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul is conscious that there are fearful things about the Lord that cause him to say, oh, please believe this, because if you don't believe it, you're going to be in big trouble with the Lord. Or 2 Corinthians 7, 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. You might think that this has just to do with unbelievers. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we're trying to persuade unbelievers. And maybe the fear of the Lord has some role to play in getting unbelievers to become believers. But once they're believers, they don't have to worry about fearing the Lord anymore. That won't work here. Second Corinthians 7, 1. Christians, bring your holiness to completion in and by the fear of the Lord. In the Christian life, there is a role for a proper fear of God. So let's think about this for a moment. And to do that, let's go back to Jesus and see how he sets up fearing God. This is Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So be done with fearing people who can only kill you. 
You get that? They can only kill you, so don't be afraid of them. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's God. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. So there's a sense in which once we recognize how precious we are to God, we're not to fear that he would throw us away. We're his children. He loves us. He has not given us a spirit of fear to fall back, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Paul said, but a spirit of, of sonship. We are his children. But there's another sense in, we are, in which we are to fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's a fear that should have a deep contentment and joy and confidence in it. Confidence in it. Look at the way Paul or uh, Matthew describes the women at the tomb after the resurrection. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he was risen. He is risen. He is, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. (laughs) Oh, fear and great joy. Joy. Can you put those together in your experience? To be a Christian is to know what this is. We have a fear before a holy, omnipotent, absolutely sovereign, unimpeachably just God, and we are sinners, and there has taken place through Jesus Christ such a salvation that we have great joy as we tremble before such a God. Now, if you say, I don't think that's right, I think we're supposed to have only great joy and no experience of fear, well, I'm just trying to persuade you. (laughs) Let's, Let's watch it in the book of Acts. Here's Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. When Ananias heard these words that he had lied to the Holy Spirit, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Should it have? God killed Ananias for lying to the Holy Spirit. Immediately his wife came in, did the same thing, and fell down at Peter's feet, breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church. Should it have? This is Luke telling us an appropriate response. You don't mess with the living God. You lie to God, you're going to drop dead, and you should tremble at that prospect. And then look, look how it's described in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And being built up and 
walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There it is. So the women had fear and great joy. The church has fear and comfort. That's the Christian experience. Here's Paul trying to explain in Romans 11. If some of the branches, that is the Jewish unbelievers, were broken off from this tree, which represents the covenant made with Abraham, the salvation of God wrought through Christ, if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, mere Gentile, outside the people of Israel, were grafted in among others, and now you're sharing in the nourish, nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches, the Jewish people who were broken off and rejected because of their unbelief. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root. It's the Abrahamic covenant. God's grace is supporting you, but the root supports you. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that we might be grafted in. So we've got to have some superiority, don't we, over those broken off branches? And Paul says, well, that's true. They were broken off so that you might be grafted in. They were broken off because of their unbelief. And you, you stand fast through faith alone, not because you've got some special rank. So do not become proud, but fear. Fear unbelief. Isn't that the point? Fear unbelief. If they were broken, broken off because of unbelief, you can be broken off because of unbelief. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. Kindness to you, provided you continue in the kindness. And one of the means God uses to help us continue in the kindness is fear. Fear unbelief. And those who are truly born of God, truly elect, do continue in his kindness. We do believe in eternal security. But the eternal security goes hand in hand with warnings that you church-attending, praying, Bible-reading, so-called Christian can be broken off and go to destruction if you become arrogant and puffed up and cease to fear unbelief. So I close like this. What I think Paul is saying here is submit to one another while you take account of the fact that the Lordship of Christ is not to be trifled with. If the Lord Jesus has called you to be submissive to one another, you should tremble at the prospect of disobeying the Lord Jesus. I close with two verses that are so helpful to me in understanding the fear of the Lord as a redeemed child of God. Oh, Psalm 31. Oh, how abundant, God, is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked. So you've stored it up for them 
and you've worked it for them, and they're described in two ways. They fear you, and they take refuge in you. That's amazing. Do you see what that means? That means God is a blazing fire of holiness. We are a little twig of sin. As we approach him, we have three possibilities. One, we can simply say, he doesn't exist. Such a God doesn't exist. Or we can say, I'm running the other direction. No way am I approaching that flame. Or we can run in. And if we run in, abundant goodness is ours. Isn't that amazing? God spares us from the fear of God by making an asbestos refuge against the flame of his holiness. But I'll tell you, when we're in there, we're trembling, which is why. And it's a good trembling. Oh, it's a sweet trembling, right? Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is not an unhappy experience. This is a sweet, deep, appropriate trembling, and all of the terror has been taken out of it. And what's left of the terror is sweet. 